0: if you've lost a relationship through death or rejection um you know it's it's a lot like heroin withdrawal you really crave that person that connection but instead of craving a drug you're craving the love you're you're craving the connection so The Mm -hmm. body, the opioid system in the body, the same biophysiological processes that happen when you're in withdrawal from heroin or morphine are going on. It's, It's different.
1: Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, and offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hey, everybody, this is Gina Cavalier. I'm the host of the Liberated Healer podcast, and we're having a uh, follow-up second interview with Susan Anderson. She is um, sort of an expert in her field of grief and has written several books about it, and um, i uh, love to welcome you again, Susan. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. So we had a really great conversation last time you were on and, um, and this podcast usually follows a little bit of my life, which, you know, I guess is the why- reason why I started it. And this was about a year ago and I was going through a breakup and I was in the middle of grief. And so I used your books actually, and I contacted you and you agreed to come on and, they really helped me process literally intellectualizing where I was in in every moment. And it really helped me kind of get to the other end. Um, And then, so I wanted to unpack that a little bit. Um, And then after that, I I actually wrote and is getting published by the Swedenborg Foundation. A book about healing suicidal thoughts and grief and for people left behind so this is another secondary kind of part of grief where you're you've lost a person so can we just talk a little bit about uh your history in in this grief and an abandonment space that you're in and what you've been doing recently and then get on to other stuff well you know my the the
0: thing that i zero in on there's so much it's a huge area emotionally and i zero in on the primal abandonment wound because what makes grief painful what makes surviving someone else's suicide painful what makes a person feel so much grief that they want to die is when you boil it all down and you deconstruct it and you look inside and you really get in there what it is is it's the primal abandonment wound that has just become, you know, pretty unbearable. So when you go through a breakup, which we talked about last time, you know, it it is it, it's a rejection and it triggers primal abandonment that you've been harboring as a fear, and that's been expanding um, since since infancy because birth trauma. You know, it it brings you back to the core to the core of fear. So that's what makes it so hard to cope with. And it also helps when you understand that it helps you understand how to process it properly, how to get through it, and how to sort of forgive yourself for for going through such a a bad time. So, but the the idea of grief is through breakup, through heartbreak, grief over losing your health, the grief over. Um, getting older and losing your sense of future, grief over, over someone dying, grief over losing your pet, your, your profession, you can feel grief and really have it triggered in a very deep way over so many losses and so many transitions in life. And I've been more, le- more recently looking at the wide variety of things that can trigger that kind of a response.
1: And I, yeah, it's so many different things. And as we unpack it, um, it's just very helpful to have these conversations and books such as yours, especially when you're in it, because sometimes it can happen so fast, like somebody has an accident and passes away. Or I just recently lost a friend to Lyme disease within six months. You know, she just was gone, and just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it was very sudden. And so you're just all of a sudden, you know, having a daily life and then all of a sudden thrown into something and you have to unpack it. So um, where do we go from here? <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the phases that people go through? Um, Cause I think that's, I, I just love the phases. I know people say stages um, in books sometimes can you know, put people in a box and then get overwhelmed going, oh, what stage am I in? But of course we know we fluctuate between all the stages, right? But what are the the first couple that we can expect that we need to get through?
0: Well, yes, I mean the the problem with with stages or phases is they're not these neat packages, you know, and not everybody conforms to them. But I think we pretty well we understood that from you know our last conversation and that this the phases really, they're a little bit vaguer than stages, you know, phases. Um, so that makes it a little bit more acceptable, but they're an attempt to try to help people organize what they're going through because the, the kind of process that you go through when there's a loss and you break a connection, you break an attachment and you're dealing with loss. Um, it begins with a feeling of shattering. That's the beginning moment of, the connection is is broken and it can happen so easily. You could be in a in a relationship one date and you can feel, oh, I think I've met somebody and I think I see a future here and the person can fail to return your phone call and you can feel shattered because the dream and the hope that you had is now shattered. So that first stage and when you're going through a major loss, it, it's a major issue, is shattering. It's when you realize that the thing that was about to give you security that gave you a sense of future, that gave you a sense of you knew where you were going from here or thought you did, um, that stage is universal and it is shattering. But when you feel shattered, it automatically leads to withdrawal. That's the stage two or phase two, the you sort of overlap into withdrawal and you you feel both shattered and withdrawn at the same time but the withdrawal refers to you're now missing that person you need that person or you need the idea of that person your friend for instance the idea of that happening you want to go back to the time when that when Lyme disease couldn't suddenly take a person's life away you want that time back and you can't have it so you're you know in withdrawal for that day of innocence when you didn't even think such a thing could happen so you go through shattering and it immediately leads to a yearning for what you've lost wanting it but not being able to have it and when you when you're talking about a relationship if you've lost a relationship through death or rejection um You know, it's it's a lot like heroin withdrawal. You really crave that person, that connection. But instead of craving a drug, you're craving the love, you're you're craving the connection. So Mm -hmm. the body, the opioid system in the body, the same biophysiological processes that happen when you're in withdrawal from heroin or morphine are going on. It's, It's different but you can really experience flu-like symptoms when the relationship is important enough and you're in withdrawal. You can be nauseous and queasy stomach and feel like you're dying. It it, it really can be just like heroin withdrawal. Um, And then because you're in withdrawal, the next phase comes naturally from that. So there's a directionality to the phases. So you're shattered, then you're in withdrawal, and now you're in what's wrong with me? What have I done to make this happen? Why am I so naive that I didn't see it coming? Somehow, this is my fault. If I were more powerful, I could have prevented the death. I mean, this would occur, especially Mm -hmm. in the case of a suicide, that we all think that we could have prevented that if we had tried harder. But it's true in rejection. If I hadn't been so inadequate, I wouldn't have been left. But it's true in a death, From an illness that somehow that makes me so powerless that I didn't see it coming and that I couldn't prevent it. So there is from shattering to withdrawal and wanting the person to then feeling somehow powerless and responsible in some way and feeling our own self-esteem suffer for it. Um, There are many reasons that self-esteem that we beat ourselves up and feel insecure for a while. And one of them is that the relationship may have been giving us some security and we lose it. So that source of security has been ripped away. But the bigger reason has to do with a sort of a feeling that we're powerful and suddenly we realize we're not. Mm -hmm. And then with blaming ourselves and beating ourselves up and and, um, taking too much responsibility for the loss, then we go to rage because they're part of us that says, wait a minute, this isn't all my fault. It's because life is hard. It's because not everything is under my control. It's because conditions are rough or the person is bad or that they shouldn't have done that or so many things. The rage gets us to refuse to take all that responsibility and sort of lash out at the world. Mm-hmm. And when you're in grief and you're going through this process of shattering, withdrawal, internalizing and feeling inadequate and then rage, that's when we really can get angry at innocent bystanders who try to help us and say stupid things like, oh, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger or you'll get past this or just let go or simplistic bits of advice that you know that really can enrage us so when we're in that rage phase we can be particularly annoyed at the simplistic things the lack of empathy that we that we get from our friends and family and people we expected to understand what we're going through so the rage phase is really quite an interesting phase because it's it isn't just about yourself and the the pet or the job or the person or the situation that you lost. Mm-hmm. It's you and the rest of the world also, your relationship to the rest of the world and your recognition that the world, that empathy is not something that is in abundance in many people. So the yeah. rage is such a lesson. We learn so much from the rage. And then the fifth phase is lifting. And lifting sounds terrific because you're lifting out of the grief. You're you're having a moment of distraction. You're with someone who's said something very amusing and you find yourself laughing and you're so relieved that you're still human and you can still laugh and you can still enjoy the, the, the beautiful flowers and the sunset and so forth. And so when you lift momentarily out of the grief. And that sounds lovely and it is, of course, a wonderful thing, but you can lift too quickly. You can lift and become disconnected from your emotions and fail to take them with you. And what happens with that is when you see someone who's sort of an overlifter, lifter, they, they're too good at lifting. Um, you see someone who's become, you know, detached from their own emotions. They're emotionally unavailable. They're, they're, you know, sort of a little shut down or even a little shallow or superficial emotionally. So when we lift, we want to make sure that we lift, but that we lift with all of our feelings intact, because every one of the feelings of grief is valuable. And those feelings are all... Um, valuable helpful instructive experiences that we can grow from and Mm -hmm. they make us human and they give us a velcro surface like a sticky surface that allows us to get close to each other because we have feelings and it hurts and we can you know enjoy the the warmth of other people and let them know so it gives us a sticky surface for making connection to other people and we don't want to forfeit that opportunity to become more more connectable to other people because we were because we don't know how to handle our feelings. We want to be able to take our feelings with us and use them constructively.
1: I always get all emotional when I talk to you because we all have the have we've all gone through this, every single person. And it sometimes you you forget, especially if there's you're having a conflict with someone, that we are all made up of these difficult storylines, you know? And maybe if we could be a little bit more aware that every single person you've ever run to has had this happen to them. And on repeat, it is like just, it's just our life, right? Um, it helps
0: to look at every single person as someone who has an inner child. Yes, yes. And- a vulnerable center, even if they do not show it. Like you could be in New York city in a subway and a transit worker who's tired and annoyed because they've been pestered all day and they have a lousy job and they're working in a dungeon and they're underpaid and, you know, disrespected all day long. And that person can be gruff. But when you have to say, excuse me, what train do I take to get from 42nd street to, you know, when you have to ask a stupid question, you have to understand that person has an inner child. So when you relate to people, you might not be able to, to convert them into warm, fluffy people, but you can talk to them with empathy at, without having without having to hear the whole story of their lives. You can still understand that every person has an inner child. Every person has a storyline, as you put it.
1: I think it's a good thing to remind us going into this political year because, you know, I, you know, these conversations are important if we can just kind of pull out of the hate, even like you really, you have your one person you want to be the leader of a country and that part, you know, but that doesn't, I'm just saying that there's a, there's a person on the end of that, you know what I mean? And we're throwing all this hate and, and all, I feel like that hate just when, and then uh, this kind of gets out into the ethos. And then when you have like something triggering, like you lost a person or a job or something, it really it is part of all this breaking down and it really hits us, you know? And Yes. Uh, and well, it- I
0: love the fact that you bring up the political problem because our country is in such a schism. People are at opposite sides. And so that's our challenge is to really, with compassion, understand we may have the opposite viewpoint as the other person, but they're, they, they are a human being and they have feelings and they are genuine and sincere about how they're seeing things just as we are.
1: Uh-huh. So
0: it takes, I mean, it's a challenge, but it is doable to have love and compassion for people who are at the polar opposite of the way that we see things. So it's, it's really a good example that you bring up.
1: Because so, I always try to look at that. That person might be on the edge of something, even if it's something I really don't agree with. Like I really saw a violent piece of video that was at a, a, a political rally thing on LinkedIn and it was violent. And my, I wanted to say something, but they said, that's not going to do any good. And also um, I, I don't know. Maybe that person who's posting that, obviously they're in rage for posting. They're already in that stage of rage for whatever reason to be even put that out. And now me just even saying, I can't believe you posted this or something, even though that's what I was thinking. I don't know. I they could go and start doing a mass shooting, or I'm just saying it's like we have to really think what kind of energy, what kind of comment do we do we want to contribute to? Because this, this person might be in a rage stage or a withdrawal stage or they just lost their parent or they just lost their child or, you know, and just I look at that every time I'm going to post and, and I almost 99% say nah <laughs> or whatever. But now that I'm in the habit of doing that, I just automatically eh, no, I got I have things that I need to take care of and do. But I wish I like to bring it up because
0: yeah it's an important thing to bring up because there is a lot of that. There is a lot of judgment that people are making, and that's wrong and so forth. But you know, we really can't judge. We think we can, but we don't know the whole story. We only know what we're seeing. and and even if we're sure we're right, the other person has a right to be wrong. So yeah. that it's it's really the 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 type of compassion and acceptance that it takes to really live in peace in the world, especially today with everything that's going on. It takes a great deal to do that. And it takes being really accepting of all of our emotions so that we can accept everyone else's emotions.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I loved your audiobooks. That's what I used because um, when I was, the, the interesting thing about my last breakup I wanted the breakup, but I had a physical reaction and I've never had that before. Like I was feeling this uh, massive anxiety through my body, almost like my whole body was tingling. So that was the worst part because in my mind, I didn't want to be with this person. I knew that it was time to end it. So I was already kind of accepting of, of the bad, you know, the wounds or whatever was I was unfolding and I was you know, trying to take the lessons of what I could learn to do better next time and all that stuff. But there was a physical reaction, like physically, like like anxiousness, like it was ripped for me. Um, And I still actually, and it's gotten less, but I've never had that before. So I feel like I've triggered maybe some old, old, old wound because in my mind, I'm all right with that situation. But I don't know why I had, have you heard a lot about these physical reactions to in these stages and um uh, attributing to anxiety and panic attacks and kind of a more of a physical nature
0: yes well the um anxiety is physical you feel anxious it isn't just mm-hmm. that you think anxious you feel anxious and when you're having a panic attack it's a complete biophysiological event and there's something that i before i became an abandonment uh specialist so to speak. I was a, a separation anxiety specialist. Um Perfect. <laughs> abandonment at the in, back in the 70, 60s and 70s, sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties. I wrote the book in ninety seven and it was very, very hard to get the word abandonment put in the book and in the title. I had to fight very hard. Um because it was it was a clinical term and it was Freud didn't even use the term. I mean, it was a very unused term. But the a term that was thrown around by, by several, you know, theoreticians, separation anxiety. And separation anxiety is something you feel. It can give you a stomach ache. It can make your heart race. It can give you chest, like chest pain. You can actually have chest pains, but you could just feel sick separation anxiety. I know so many people who have most of their separation anxiety is upon awakening. Somehow they wake up and they feel uh, their heart is hammering. They're nauseous. They they're scared. They feel sick. They just feel sick. And then as the day wears on, their rational mind, their positive energy wears it down. And by two o'clock in the afternoon, they're having lunch with a friend or whatever they're doing. They're completely present. And, you know, they might have moments of their stomach not quite feeling settled. But separation anxiety is really intense. And it's it's physiological. So this is physical and so you knew that you needed to end this relationship but the fact was that you were separating yourself from something that had been even if it had been an illusion Mm
1: -hmm. you
0: were separate you were taking a scalpel and you were saying I need to do this but I but it hurts
1: it's gonna hurt yeah yes (laughs) you just described me because it's gotten better but every morning I wake up with a panic attack and it's been this whole year from that. Um, and it's gotten a lot better. So the first thing I do when I wake up is I I love the I home because I just say, you know, Siri, you know, I put on meditation music. So I change my environment instantly. Um, I, I know, how, you know, because I teach meditation right there laying in bed. You know, I I just ground myself. I look around me. I see my dogs. I say, I love you. I say the words love like I learned how to kind of do what works for me but it's instant every single morning every single morning well like
0: I mean, if we were to deconstruct that and I don't know for sure because we'd have to spend hours yeah. talking and looking sure. but I'm assuming and I could be wrong but I'm assuming that you're waking up and your your brain hasn't had a chance to to reassure you that you're okay So you're waking up and you're feeling alone. You're all alone on the planet. It's only you. There's no one. And you're waking up alone. And then you say, Siri, put on this. And that immediately connects you to something. Mm. It immediately gives your mind a positive focus. You're immediately connecting. You're, You're immediately demonstrating your power to get into the moment. So you're waking up starkly alone as if you're uh, out in space and you're connected to the spaceship by, you know, you're out walking around in space, you know, but your spaceship is over here and you have this cable and all of a sudden you're out there with, you know, zero gravity and it snaps and you're, ah, I'm alone. But then you get Siri to play and now you're connecting. Mm. Now you're in you you are in the moment. You're able to use your ears, your mind. You can now feel the presence of something in the universe that gives you comfort. So you're able to self soothe. I mean, that's my guess. Is is mm-hmm. what absolutely. I
1: mean, yeah. And I'm love. I love that we're talking about this. I know we're using me as kind of a sample, but there's so many people that are lonely in the world. Oh yeah, this is
0: not about. You. It's about you and me, and
1: yeah. so many
0: millions and millions and millions of people.
1: Yes, even when you, you have, even when you don't have a specific life event that's going to throw you into abandonment, you could just be lonely. You could, you know, and you know, you yeah. see people that will say something online, or you just walk it. With, you could see it with their head down, and you know, and they just. And the world is so separate, and you know, with the technology, a lot of times. We have a hard way time, way of connecting with people one on one and feeling the the tribe. Our tribe is getting smaller and harder to connect with, and so I, I really like that we're we're talking because we want we don't want people to be feel lonely. <laughs> you know? Well, you know that our
0: society has changed so much that it's it's amazing that we don't hear more people describing those feelings that we're talking about. They have them, but but there's shame. So they, they tend to, they don't realize that everybody's having them. So they tend to keep theirs quiet. But the fact is we used to live just a hundred years ago or so, maybe 200. We lived in agricultural societies in our house was our, you know, four kids. We needed them so they could till the ground and our aunt and our grandparents and our other aunt, the uncle, and they're all living in, in a house and we're like crowded with people we can barely find a place to sit down at night and knit to make the clothes to wear the next day (laughs) i'm maybe exaggerating but i think i'm and now that's not how we're living at all we're living in our own little units we're very isolated from one another um we have this concept of tribe and it's not easy to find members of your own tribe so to speak because it becomes an idealistic thing that no one matches you know no one's quite connecting and there's all this sort of alien space that that we're sort of misunderstood that there are people who don't get us (laughs) you know there's all of this this is the whole society people are looking to connect and it's almost impossible to find a quality connection that makes that feeling go away. So most of us are coping with a lot of aloneness, a lot of disconnect. We may have a family and a bunch of kids, but we're still isolated within our own families, or we're living alone and we're in the community trying to Use our social life to 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 supply us with enough connection. This is pervasive throughout society that that that's going on, and it might not have been as great an issue back 150 years ago, but it is a, a contemporary issue.
1: I think it's interesting because uh, we're I'm putting together a documentary uh, about surviving suicidal ideation and suicide, actually, and in my research exactly just going back a hundred years people for the most part if it was suicide it was like you were a slave or you were a prisoner of war or you were in the military i mean there was a very harsh reasons why people committed suicide and usually from what i can tell wasn't about just that they felt disconnected and alone because they never felt alone they had they always were had like little groups that they had then they had their job and their life purpose whether it was like you say in, tilling to the ground or, and they they knew what where they stood in their family that they had a job to do, take care of the horses or whatever. And as we've gotten more technically advanced and more modernized, we become more separate. And that's why these conversations are super important. Right? We don't want to lose people. Suicide is an affliction that, you know, is can be, you know, healed or, you know, out of society. But why is it growing? You know, it's actually growing in huge numbers. Um, and... And then the people left behind fall right into, they're left behind and their, their life has changed forever and their whole family. So, um, and a lot of times, like you said, they don't talk about it. They feel shamed. Um, you know, they're, they're afraid to get, um, taboo, you know, like they're not going to get a job again if they tell people and, and, you know, a lot of it's done in secret, um, especially military and vets and things like that. So. I really appreciate your work you're doing in um, in this area. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I appreciate the fact that you're researching suicide and the increasing, you know, s- suicide among people, the alienation that people feel. Because um, there you, you threw in the idea of a sense of purpose just before. But, you know, that's so huge that people who get to feeling depressed and feeling no sense of purpose, feel worthless because they're not fulfilling a sense of purpose. They're not as integral to the family as they used to be when they used to be the one to take the tractor out or, you know, feed the chickens or, you know, collect the eggs or whatever that they, 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 they're not helping a family to survive. They're living on their own and they're, they're, they're working for their own self maintenance and they've lost a sense of feeling integral in a situation. And so where is their self-worth? Oh, their self-worth has to be based on, oh, I'm terrific. Or, oh, I'm a great, I have a great personality. But that's so superficial. It's so shallow compared to the kind of sense of purpose and feeling important. And that people rely on us and we're helping other people to survive. Um, that that becomes a real, a real you know, anchor for living and when you lose that anchor your reason for living is dependent on how you feel about yourself and how you feel about life and if you throw the feeling of shame in there then you're really feeling pain that becomes unendurable shame Mm -hmm. says oh there's something i'm missing i'm i'm missing the boat here i'm there's something remiss in me i'm i'm not i'm not like other people i don't have true value i'm not enough i'm i'm just not enough there's always been something fundamentally wrong with me every human being feels that shame we all have that it comes from um, early childhood like infancy it comes from when we were crying to bring mommy to the to the bedside and she didn't come and we'd feel powerless we all have those feelings but people who get themselves caught up in a situation in life can actually listen to those feelings and think that they really are missing something, that they really are inadequate, that they're really not, they're not connectable. They're not keepable. They're not worthy of, of connection. And that's just not true, but they feel it and it feels very real. That feeling of shame of feeling ashamed of the, the lack of power that you have, the lack of worth, that shame makes the aloneness or the feeling of despair or whatever it is. I can't find a job I'm, uh, or someone broke up with me or whatever. That takes that feeling and compounds it and makes it unbearable. And it also makes the person feel free as if they're not really destroying anything valuable. By destroying themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And then yeah. they want to leave. They want to leave so bad. <laughs> and they feel like that's a great answer. Because it just. You know nobody understands them. They don't have a place in the world. And you know in, in, our, in my book. You know in the way that I healed. My suicidal ideations was two main things. Was I learned how to love myself. As much as I loved everyone else. And that was hard. Because I. I loved everyone else but myself because I was I was giving them so much love. I was like, if I give them all my love, they're not going to leave because I had abandoned issues, like you have in your book. Then they would leave, and then I'd be like, oh, you know, all upset. And so now I just give myself all that love first. You know, I dish it out to everyone that deserves it and has equal balance now. And way have good, ba- you know, I learn how to do boundaries and everything. But I do. I learn how to love myself. And so when a negative thought would come in, like, you don't deserve to be here, i go, oh, that's the old gene fight," bye. And it would just go away. I learned how to do that. Well,
0: you know, I got into the field of studying abandonment because I had my own abandonment. And that's what happened to me. I was in this beautiful relationship for 18 years, this marriage, 18 years. And I was giving this person my love. And he still threw it away. my love i mean he wasn't just getting me he was getting love Mm. devotion i had him on a pedestal i mean and he supposedly had me on a pedestal how could i give someone love something so valuable and even that's not enough to keep me so that was so devastating that it it motivated me to write the book um But you know what you bring up about giving someone all your love and doing all of this for other people uh, to be sort of a cliche, codependency. But the codependency involved in our lives is that we learn how to give more than we get because we're giving everything to the other person in hopes that they will give back. And we're trying to make ourselves valuable. If I do too many favors for you, And I'm giving you everything. What I'm basically saying is I'm really not that valuable. So I have to make myself more valuable by giving you a lot of stuff. But then you, now that you're receiving all this stuff from me, you're kind of seeing me as overcompensating. So you kind of see me as a little less. And now I'm getting less from you. So when you have a habit of giving too much of yourself, and those of us who are loving people tend to do that. When you have a habit of giving too much of yourself, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to have a mutual relationship. We're not being symmetrical with the other person. We're giving too much. So if you and I were in a codependent relationship and I was the codependent one and it's your birthday, I'm liable to make your your birthday the biggest event on the planet. But then my birthday comes along and basically I have kind of communicated to you that I'm not that important and don't worry about it. No, that's okay. I don't need that, you know, and then, and you forget my birthday. So when you are giving, giving, giving to the other person, it creates these imbalances that then are so painful. And then we misinterpret them. We don't realize the part that we played in that. And we feel so hurt and so worthless. And it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with having a loving, generous nature, lots of energy. And we kind of imbalanced a relationship inadvertently.
1: And there's a way to, um, what I've also taught myself, you know, I'm in my fifties. Okay. So this has taken 30 years, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be 54 next week. So, um, And this is, I'm living kind of in this phase of my life, probably since I started the liberated healer, which is about three years. So really this has been about 20 years of really a lot of self-work, but um, what I, what I'm really proud of myself is is I've learned how to be supportive and not dump all my energy into that person, but still remain supportive. That's a, that's a good balance to have. I feel like, because I can still, be present and be available and let them know I care about them without putting all my, like taking. So that's why I can produce books and my art and the documentary and, and build and create my life where I'm in my purpose and feeling in my flow, but not miss out on the people. And I think that that's a really, that's also what your books teach, help taught, teach me last year. Oh, you, you're, the way that you worded everything contributed to that supportive nature of yourself. And I think in my, you, you interwove a lot of that well, stuff in your books. So. Yeah,
0: creating a new relationship with yourself is what, you know, the whole process of abandonment, the, the result of it is that you develop a new a new relationship with yourself. You give yourself love behaviorally and then it's self love it isn't that you're saying i love myself that doesn't work you're i love you just the way you are who cares you know <laughs> you have to give yourself love behaviorally you have to do kind loving things for yourself so that you treat yourself with love and then you become a real vessel for other people like you just described this time and then maybe 5 minutes ago how you know you had you were this way and then you kind of changed to give yourself more love to make yourself more the object of your your primary love object just saying that anyone watching this hears that and they're inspired it's very obvious to you but it's a revelation to many people i know many people watching need need to hear people say those things they need you to say that Because it's like, oh, yes, that's right. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's so hard to do. It is so, we are so desperate for connection all the time that we will give away a lot of energy that is meant to invest in ourselves and in in being in our creative space.
1: Yep. And learning how to say no, I've learned how to say no because... uh, And my life purpose unfolded through that awakening of my self-love. Now my life purpose came in and I said, oh, I have a voice. I like talking to people. What are my talents? You know, and really, instead of forcing into other things that really didn't speak to my heart, you know, like a corporate job or something, which is not saying it's bad for somebody, but, um, I started to really be able to dissect. I like this. I don't like this. I like this. I like that. And now I just started to every day take more tinier steps towards the things I liked and letting the things I knew I didn't like fall off. And eventually it got to a point where every day I get to do the things I like. And that's a miracle. And that's another that my suicide ideation is gone because I have so much to achieve now. And it's, and it's things I enjoy. I don't feel like I work anymore. Um and again I'm in my 50s so it has taken a while. Um but I would love to shorten that time span for people if I could and help them say you know you know get to that life purpose a little further because there is something that that speaks to everybody's heart. And um but you have to really kind of start to let go and then also realize the things that you are doing they're not bad. Like if you do have a corporate job, take w- what it's giving you now you know, and being grateful for that opportunity and lesson is not, but realizing, you know, so not going in and making it a negative thing is what I'm saying. Still appreciate it, right? Having that appreciation, awareness, and that you get to, you know, have a new experience, but slowly and gently move to a kinder a thing that you, it makes you jump out of bed. And it is a process. It's not overnight. <laughs>
0: There's a book called The Science of Getting Rich, written by Wallace B. Waddles back in, I don't know, 1919 or something. But he talks about more than filling your present place. If right now you're in a corporate job and it isn't, it isn't meeting your needs to help the world, let's say, um, you don't have to leave the job. You can more than fill your present place. You can begin right there. You may segue into another way of making money or may not. But you, what you're suggesting is you you make that work, You you take where you are right at this moment and look, find, seek, you know, what's in there and maximize that more than fill your present place. So, you know, the fact that you mentioned the word work, I don't know, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes ago, you said it took a lot of work. And that's that's the other piece of this is that um, you have to actually take steps to accomplish this. It's not spontaneous. It's not like you can just sit there and listen to a few podcasts or whatever. And it just happens spontaneously. You actually have to work hard to get to get to that point. You have to do it very deliberately and it pays off.
1: Yeah. Yep. And whatever I tell everybody and. You're the only one that knows what resonates with you, whether it's automatic writing in the morning or you want to work with a healer or if you want to work with a doctor or if you want to go on medication. I don't know. It's different for everybody. You're the only one that is your own sovereign being. But that's why, you know, you're one option that really if, if you are have an abandonment wound with a lot of us, I have, you know, I, I wrote down things that I knew were my core wounds. And I said I'm gonna work on this core wound you know my relationship with my father and my childhood I'm gonna work on this core wound and I knew I still have it listed in my uh, you know my notes section and I actually kind of when I feel like I'm kind of free of that and I for, I have gotten to a point where I've forgiven myself and others it, uh, I kind of check it off the list it's it's funny is it, but I really am like I don't need to work on it anymore I feel I don't even feel any attachment because when that emotion, when you've rechanged that storyline and the actual emotion is gone, doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's still out there as a story, but the emotion is gone. You right?
0: resolved it. You resolved it. You you can you,
1: actually resolve these gotten, things.
0: Yes, you've gotten you've gotten bigger than the problem. You know the problem. The emotions are all still part of you because you experienced them in the past and. So you have experience with them, but you've got you've gotten larger than that problem. So that problem kind of disappeared because it's a tiny thing.
1: And that's what I think people need to hear. You can resolve even core wounds. You can. Yes. You know, right? <laughs> it takes and it takes work. Yeah.
0: It takes constantly working where you are now and expanding that, that place.
1: Yeah. Being kind to yourself and compassionate. And then like we said before, compassionate to the world around you, we're all going through stuff. If you can let go and not have to send off that comment or note, because I feel like people, what I've found with myself is I would still uh, with that expression, like I had to like input my, my saying into something. And then I would like, you leave that comment, right. And you go on and do something else. I would still hold that energy a little bit. I would still be in that energy because now I'm a part of that conversation. so, and I'm a part of this thing that was negative that I felt like I had to jump into and now I'm holding it a little bit. So it's like, even that, even just maybe not commenting on negative stuff that I, you know, if, if you recognize that as affecting your day somehow, you know. I've really stopped doing that. And I, you know, I just think that if we do that a little bit more and realizing that's not helping ourselves really first. Well,
0: again, it's, it's pulling away from the, the codependent, you know, impulse to fix something, to Mm. step in and give the right answer to moderate the person's anger, whatever, when you have the urge to make a comment, but stepping back, you, you are able to let that person be a separate entity who's you don't agree with, and you can be separate and not have to fix it. So
1: it's oh. very freeing. I like that you said the word moderate, because I, I people are trying to moderate other people and, and then coerce them into their thinking. And then it's really all it is, is creating more shame and judgment and criticism. And like I said you don't know where someone is. They might be on the very, that's the last thing they can hear that day. And they're going to lay in bed and cry. Are they going to feel shame all night? Are they going to wonder how could they exit this life? And it's, you know, and I would hate to think that my comment was the last thing that pushed someone to the edge, you know, and that's kind of how we have to start thinking about it because it's real. It is really, it does hurt. It words hurt. Well, I mean, the the
0: sort of the the ideal way to go through life is to say that your every day you will do your whatever you can to make the world a better place, to make it to make life a better place for everyone, you and everyone else. So just spreading positive, you know, energy wherever you can. So by pulling back, sometimes you can't change or fix or moderate somebody else's um, belief system, and you can't. Help them in that moment, but by not by not attacking them, by not commenting, you might at least be avoiding making it worse. So you, you've made the world a better place by not making it a worse a worse place for somebody because yeah. you simply can't know what the other person is is that all about?
1: Wow, that's such a great kind of thing to probably end on. And uh, do you have any kind of parting words that that maybe brought up? that you'd like to kind of leave us with today?
0: Well, I always seem to come back to the same thing, um, which is that when you go to improve something in your life, you don't have to fix it perfectly. You can just make the smallest change. It doesn't have to be that you used to be selfless and now you put yourself first. You don't have to go to any extreme. You, you, all you have to do is in prove that that little tendency of yours a little bit to be a little bit more self-loving a little bit more self-regarding a little bit more giving to yourself a little bit more aware a little bit more generous with yourself just a little bit and that can make all the difference in the world
1: all the difference in the world thank you so much susan um, nice. this, been, this is the Liberated Healer podcast, and I'm going to link everything in Susan's books and her audio books uh, about abandonment. Uh, I've really found that they were really helpful for the things that I was going through at the time. Um, just wonderful, and the, the the voice work really was very soothing and helpful to me. Really, when you're in it, and you need, you I can't recommend it highly enough. If, if you've just lost someone or are going through a really hard uh, situation in your life. Uh, for calming and to take you to that next stage because sometimes as we intellectualize what's happening to us and that we do see that there are phases and we can kind of understand that we're just in this almost ocean of emotion and that it's going to be okay. And we're going to get to the shore Um, and, you know, raising up and helping each person as much as we can is why we're here actually on this channel and beyond. We hope, so thank you for being a part of it. Please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, let me know if you have any questions, Gina at the healer.com And again, we'll link everything below so you can find each of us. Thank you so much. Thank you,
0: Susan. Thank you, Gina. Thank you for having me.
1: Much love. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at the healer.com on Instagram at liberatedhealerpodcast or on Facebook at the Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel and thank you for your support. podcast